You're listening to the More on Manufacturing podcast, where we talk about improving the value and operation of your business. Join Mike, Kevin, and the occasional guest for the latest on sales optimization, operational leadership, cash flow management, lean strategies, preparing for the sale of your company, business intelligence, and much more. Hi, I'm Mike Sibley, leader of the James Moore Manufacturing Team. I'm here with Kevin Golden, one of my partners and member of the James Moore Manufacturing Team as well. Welcome, Kevin. Um, on today's episode, we're, we're bringing up a topic that was actually requested by a client where we're going to actually have a good discussion about sales taxes for manufacturing and for manufacturers. It's a interesting area. It's a tough. It can be a tough area. It can be confusing. So we thought uh, nothing better than to bring uh, Melody Leckleidner to our uh, broadcast that today. Uh, Melody is a director with James Warren Company, and she's in our state and local tax team and really is our go-to person anytime we have an issue with uh, complex questions or state taxes or sales taxes or anything else related to um, you know state type issues. So Melody, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, as Mike said, you know, sales tax, very, very complicated. Frankly, I'm glad it's not one of my areas of expertise just because those rules are changing all the time. They're different for everybody. Um, every state, every jurisdiction all seem to have somewhat slightly different, but kind of similar, but kind of not rules. So all that complicated matters. We're very, very lucky to have Melody and, and folks like that to help us wade through those rules and help clients wade through those kind of rules. So like I mentioned, different states have different rules. Obviously, on this uh, video, we don't have time to go over all the different jurisdictions or even all the different states and their rules. But so today we're going to really focus here on Florida and the rules that are here. So all the situations, Melody, if we were covering those, we'd like to talk specifically as it relates to Florida. Obviously, if you're watching this from somewhere else, your rules may be similar, but not and probably most likely different. So make sure that you're looking at maybe what rules are specific to your area. Um, but Melody, uh, you know, just start us off. Provide us with kind of a simple, maybe layman's in overview of sales tax as it relates to manufacturers. You know, when when is sales tax charged? When should people be looking to pay sales tax? When should they not? Um, things like what are kind of some of those basics you see specifically in the manufacturing realm um, as it relates to sales tax in the state of Florida. So, as a manufacturer, sales tax really impacts the entire process from you know, the early stages of gathering your raw materials all the way through to the end, your finished goods that you're ultimately shipping or selling to either retailers or end users. So there's things that you really need to consider along the entire path. Um, you know, From the beginning stages when you're purchasing raw materials, um, typically raw materials that are used in the process of converting from the raw material to the finished good, are exempt from sales tax. So anything that you buy that ultimately is part of that manufacturing process to come into being as a final product would be exempt from sales tax. And you would need to provide your supplier an exemption certificate to prove that that is, should be an exempt purchase for you. Um, but items that you use in your regular day-to-day -day business, those would not be exempt from sales tax. So it's important that you pay attention to what it is that you're purchasing and what you're using it for, because there could be items that really fit into both categories, depending on what it is that you're manufacturing and how you're using the good. 
So way back, just even in the early stages of starting your manufacturing process, you need to think about sales tax. So, right. so Melody, I think you just made a, a good point that from a process standpoint, you know, one, our accounting professionals, our purchasing professionals uh, and our manufacturers need to be making sure that when a raw material invoice, so something that's going into the finished product is coming through, there's not sales tax on it. But also when you're dealing, when you're working with your suppliers, I, th I think your point is you need, we need to be providing them that exemption certificate. So there's no need for us to incur any extra costs that we don't need to in the form of sales tax. Uh, because I've seen plenty of situations where manufacturers have in fact had sales tax applied to their invoices and they were paying them. And, you know, that's, what, you know, like I said, there's, there's no reason to go down that road, but there is a process you need to have in place to make sure you're doing both the certificates and, you know, to the supplier and the checking for sales tax, if I'm hearing you correct. Exactly. Yes. That's, that's what signals to your supplier that what you're buying isn't exempt from, or is exempt from tax in this particular instance. Perfect. Well, Melody, that's a lot about, okay, our inventory and things going into that. What about other aspects, you know, um, for instance, maybe equipment or anything that I use in that manufacturing process. You mentioned there's an exemption for items that are going into my, you know, um, my finished product, right? But what about other components used? A lot of machinery, equipment, things like that, capital type of, of equipment used to help produce those goods. Right. So here in Florida, we do have an exemption for manufacturing equipment. There are a few um, criteria that you have to meet in order to meet that exemption. Um, first of all, you have to be a manufacturer, which means that you have a manufacturer's industry classification code. Um, secondly, that equipment has to be used in the manufacturing process. So, um, and this is something like if you're thinking about other states, you need to pay attention to how the state defines manufacturing process. Here in Florida, we have a pretty liberal definition of the manufacturing process. Some states look at just the actual process of turning the raw material into a finished good, but some states have a wider definition where it can be items that are used all the way through the packaging and shipping process. So there's often equipment that's used to seal goods or package it a certain way to get it out the door. And that can be exempt from um, sales tax as well. So you really need to pay attention to how the state defines that um, manufacturing process. The third criteria is that the equipment needs to be permanently affixed. So it needs to be a piece of equipment that you're not moving around on a regular basis. It needs to be pretty substantial and, and pretty and fixed part of the manufacturing process. So the idea is you're using it on a regular basis to manufacture the item that you're ultimately selling. So if you meet those three criteria, you have the ability to purchase equipment um, exempt from sales tax here in Florida. And so what you would do is you would provide the, um, the seller, again, an exemption certificate. There's a separate exemption certificate for manufacturing equipment. And you would provide that to your seller. And again, that signals to the seller, hey, I don't have to collect sales tax on this transaction. And then you're able to purchase it without paying sales tax. So what happens if uh, I, I bought a major piece of machinery, didn't realize this rule, and I paid a, a bunch of sales tax? Is there Can I, can I go get that back from the state? If you can. So there is a refund process. 
Um, you know, depending on what it was that you bought, how long ago it was, there's usually a statute of limitations um, on three years that you can only go back to, to get a refund for that equipment. Um, but depending on the process, you would either go back to the uh, seller to get the refund or you would work directly with the state. It just depends. But there is a mechanism for you to be able to get the money back, um, the sales tax that you paid for those items. Yeah, that's great. And, and switching gears just a little bit, um, if if I'm a manufacturer, oftentimes our manufacturers are selling to um, a, another company that might either be a distributor, uh, it might be another company that's not an end user, but sometimes we're selling to end users. And of course, I know this is probably going to be a depends answer because it depends on what the product is and what it's going to. But it, it, is there different situations where a manufacturer could be or should be charging sales tax to a customer? Yes. So there's a couple different scenarios. Um, if you are selling to an end user, um, well, I should start by saying if you're what you're selling is taxable. So there are some incidents incidences where you are could be manufacturing something that is just flat out exempt. So there are certain goods and services that the state recognizes that they're not gonna charge sales tax on no matter what. So if you're in the medical industry or you're manufacturing equipment or items that are exempt by statute, then it's just exempt. You don't need to really worry about who your customer is or um, you know collecting any sort of documentation um, related to that sale. But if you are selling a good that is taxable, then you need to consider who your customer is. So if your customer is an end user, um, someone that's the final user of that product, and it's a taxable good, then you do need to be collecting and remitting sales tax on that item. But if you are selling to someone that is a retailer who will then put that item in their inventory and ultimately sell it on to another, a different end user, then um, that transaction is typically exempt from sales tax. And that's often referred to as a sale for resale situation. So what the retailer would have to provide you is an exemption certificate. And that signals, hey, I'm taking this product, I'm buying it, but I'm using it as inventory that I will then ultimately sell on to another customer. So the state really is only interested in getting the tax from one person in the line of the transaction. It doesn't collect tax along the way. Um, and so it's important that you keep those exemption certificates if you do sell to uh, to retailers or other wholesalers um, that wouldn't that would consider that a sale for resale situation. So they'll provide you an exemption certificate and you'll keep that on file so that if the state ever comes and audits you or looks at your transactions, that's kind of your get out of jail free card that you know signals to the state like that there was a reason I didn't collect sales tax on that transaction. Um, they were they told me they the transaction was exempt. There are other um, exemptions as well. So if you're selling to a non for profit, um, that's an exemption potentially as well. And they have a different exemption certificate. But again, you would be collecting a piece of paper from them that says I'm exempt. Um, the only time that it's typically exempt where you wouldn't necessarily collect an exemption certificate is if you're selling to the federal government. So the federal government is typically exempt um, and they will provide paperwork to um, establish that. Um, and there are some rules when you sell to the federal government of documentation you have to have in place 
um, but they would not give you a typical exemption certificate that you're used to seeing with many of your other customers. So I, I, I kind of hear that as you really need to know who your customer is. You do. Yes, I'm just absolutely. good enough to be thinking, hey, they're all for resale. You really need to know who your Right. Well, and, and, and those transactions, it sounds like very, very specific. I mean, some of those are general, okay, am I selling to end users or not? But even what I'm doing, not even who, not only who I'm selling to, but what am I actually doing, whether it's exempt or not exempt, uh, the example you gave of the government and so forth. So let me ask you this question, Melody, then, given that there's a lot of different kind of moving parts in there, um, how often these rules kind of change, you know, like we'll take, again, we're talking about Florida specifically today, but for Florida, I mean, how often are they going and changing those exemption of here's, you know, uh, a transaction that is now exempt that maybe previously wasn't or previously was exempt that isn't any longer or those exemption certificates, how often do I need to be updating those? Like what kind of, with what regularity should should our clients be looking and should manufacturers be looking at uh, their sales tax compliance and, and making sure they're kind of making the most of it, but also staying in compliance and make sure there's nothing they're missing. Right. So the, I mean, the state legislature has the opportunity every year, right, to pass new exemptions or change the rules. Um, so that's one piece of it. You could be selling something that's taxable today and exempt tomorrow because the legislature has changed its mind on whether they want to tax that particular item. We've actually had quite a bit of legislative activity here in Florida around sales tax exemptions. It's been something that um, has been a focus of the governor. We've had a lot of sales tax holidays and we've changed and um, added more exemptions uh, to the list. So that's one piece of it. Um, in terms of you collecting exemption certificates from customers. So again, that would be a taxable transaction, but for the fact that the customer has told you they're using it in a way that makes the uh, transaction um, exempt, those exemption certificates have expiration dates on them and they typically expire every year. Um, Non-exempt, uh, if you have a tax-exempt entity, a non-for-profit, I think those are every three years. Um, and so it's important that you have an active exemption certificate on file related to the date of that sale. So if you are in a situation where you supply regularly to a certain customer, you're continuously shipping product, you'll want to make sure that every year you kind of check your files and make sure you have an active exemption certificate on file for them. Because when the state comes to look at your transactions, again, if you're audited, if your exemption certificate has lapsed and it is no longer active, they will come after you for the tax on that item. Um, because you, that would have been a taxable transaction, but for the exemption certificate, and now you have an exemption certificate that's not valid. So we recommend that clients kind of take a look at their all of these processes from the purchases down to the equipment that you might be buying all the way down to who you're selling to. It's really good to do kind of a, a look at that every year and make sure you're not missing anything, you know, and, um, in terms of the equipment, equipment isn't typically, you know, usually use equipment for a long period of time. So it might be a while, you know, there might be a big span of time since you last purchased equipment. So the rules might have changed since the last time you've done that. The exemption certificates might change. Um, maybe equipment you thought was exempt is no longer exempt, or maybe it's the other way around. Now you have the opportunity to exempt equipment that you didn't historically, um, that you historically paid sales tax on. 
So we, we always recommend that you just kind of do a healthy overview once a year and look at the entire process. Well, and I think, um, what, what's, what normally, what we try to do on this, on this, uh, uh, podcast is normally give companies, you know, we're, we're trying to deal with value and value based as much as how we increase the value. And some of that is processes and risk, right? So this is an area where we've talked about multiple processes that need to be in place protect you from the risk of dealing with a sales tax audit or going through due diligence, trying to sell your company and you're out of compliance with sales taxes, that's going to create a risk. And that's going to, they're going to say, Hey, you know, fix it, or we're going to hold back more in escrow in case something happens down the road. So these are definitely important areas to be looking at from a process standpoint. Um, and, and Speaking of process, so let's say I've got a situation where I should have paid sales tax on something, but wasn't charged sales tax, supplies, something else. What's what is that process? How how do we how do we do that? Yes. So the state views the transaction or the good or service as either taxable or exempt, right? So if you were you should have been charged sales tax so if it was an item that you uh, was taxable in the state's eyes and you didn't have a reason to be exempt for it and your supplier just didn't charge you sales tax that transaction is still taxable and so the component to sales tax is use tax we often say it together sales and use tax um, and so the way the state views it is if you didn't pay the sales tax when you purchased it you have an obligation to pay the tax now that you're using it um, and so they work hand in hand. The rate is exactly the same, uh, but you have an obligation. You technically have an obligation to pay use tax on anything that you purchased that you weren't charged sales tax on that you should have been charged sales tax on. And there is a section of the regular sales tax form for you to report anything that you purchased um, that should have been taxed that wasn't and you identify the value of that or the cost of that. And then it calculates the use tax for you and you remit that to the state. Um, where I see this a lot is with equipment that was purchased out of state and brought into the state. And so that's an area I see the auditors love because, you know, you have these fixed assets on your tax return. So it's very easy for them to identify the, the, the fixed assets. They ask you for your sales invoices and your purchase information. And a lot of times that stuff was bought out of state and brought into the state. And that's just low hanging fruit for the state to come in and say, okay, we're, I didn't see that reported on your use tax return. You should have paid the 6% state rate plus whatever the county applicable rate is on that item when you brought it into the state. Now, if it was manufacturing equipment, you might still have the opportunity to say that was exempt. But a lot of times um, those aren't always, you know, items that are that meet that manufacturing exemption criteria. So um, I've seen that quite a bit on audits. The state just asks for your tax return as part of the general audit process. And you've got your fixed assets and depreciation schedule right there in front of them. And they just ask for all the invoices related to those big ticket items. Um, so you want to make sure that you're paying attention to the use tax side of things. It is an area that I think gets neglected a bit more by companies, um, which I understand there's a lot that needs to be uh, paid attention to and taken care of. But that is an area that the states, it's just ripe for them to come in and, and look at. And you would owe additional tax as well as interest and penalty um, to the extent that you didn't pay the use tax at the time you should have. 
Well, another area I think that surprises people is uh, sales taxes on related party leases with the buildings. Often, y'all, you both know, you know, you got a manufacturer who's got an operating company and, a, and then they've got their building and they lease and sales taxes do it. Now, we all know that this is going away. You know, there's probably another we two hope. years um, <laughs> before it goes away. Um, but, you know, it, I was in Tallahassee with the, you know, I, I representing the Daytona chamber and talking to our legislators, uh, uh, in the spring. And we talked to a number of them and it's, it's slated to go away, but it's still a couple of years out. I know the rate's been declining, but as it stands right now, it's still due, correct? Yes. So Florida is a bit of an anomaly in this space. So we do have a sales tax on commercial rent. Um, and like you said, that gets a lot of people that are, have related party rental transactions. So for whatever reason, they lease space from um, another entity within their organizational structure, and they don't pay attention to the fact that that is subject to sales tax. Um, and the rate is a different rate. So I think that causes confusion as well. Currently it is uh, five and a half percent. And then of course this county add on the discretionary tax that gets added on at the county level. Um, I saw a notification, I think next year it's going down to four and a half um, based on, like you said, we do have um, a law in the books right now that once the unemployment trust fund gets replenished after COVID to a certain level, um, the idea is that the rate would go down to zero. So there are markers in place that when the, when the unemployment trust gets to a certain level, the rate will consistently go down. Um, the governor and the legislature have been have signaled that they really do want that to go away. I think they view it as a barrier to, um, you know, commerce and industry in the state, because like I said, Florida is unique in the situation. I think we're the only state that has a commercial real estate sales tax. Um, but that is another one that I see uh, companies get tripped up on, um, especially with related parties and leasing space. Another thing to keep in mind with that one is it's not just the rent itself. It can be anything that you're paying on behalf of um, that tenant. So if you have one entity that handles the property taxes for everybody or the insurance for everybody, that can be deemed commercial rent, even if it's not part of your actual rental lease payment. Um, and that's another area the auditors love to pick up on um, and then you know assess the tax related to it. Now, uh, Melody, it says, going back to what you said previously when you're giving the discussion about, you know, like uh, use tax, right? I, I bought something out of state and, you, and bring it into the state. Now I'm, you know, potentially subject to a use tax, right? So that brings up an interesting, you know, so far I think we've talked a lot about, you know, obviously a lot of the Florida sales tax laws and so forth and doing business in Florida. But what happens when I step over those lines? Okay, now my customer, I know who the end user is and all that, but now it's, spread throughout the United States, you know, um, maybe up in, in a neighboring state like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, something like that. But then again, maybe as far as across country out west or up in the northeast, what I know we're not getting into all the other jurisdictions and everything, but what kind of complexity now does that potentially create or does not? What kind of questions should manufacturers be asking themselves or looking at now that we said our, our, who we're selling to or who we're doing business with? goes over a state line or, or even maybe particularly over a, a local jurisdiction into another jurisdiction. Right. So we've had a quite a bit of law change in the last five years kind of in this space. So 
historically, if you did not have physical presence in a state, so you didn't have, you know, a plant or operations physically there, you just had customers there, you didn't have to worry about the sales tax piece of things um, if you didn't have the physical presence nexus. But that's changed in the last five years. So there was a Supreme Court case that kind of changed the law of the land in this space. And it gave the states the ability to um, impose sales tax obligation once you have a certain level of activity in that state. So true to state tax, all the states have different rules around like what their thresholds are. Um, and so many states have thresholds of activity based in kind of two areas. So either um, the dollar value of activity that you have going on in the state or the number of transactions that you have in the state. Most states um, hover around the dollar value, and um, but a few still have the number of transaction piece. And typically it's an or situation. Some it's an and, um, but usually it's an or. So the dollar value ranges are can be as, 100,000, I think, is the lowest one right now, all the way up to 500,000. So what does that mean? That means, you know, if I'm manufacturing something in Florida and I'm shipping to a customer in Georgia, I don't have any other activity with Georgia, I need to pay attention to what it's called economic nexus, what those thresholds are. Because once I cross over that threshold, even though I may have no physical presence in Georgia, once I've crossed over that threshold, I now have what they call economic presence. And that means I have an obligation to register with the state and then start collecting and remitting sales tax accordingly. It's also important to note that once you cross over that threshold and you start the collection and remitting process, that continues until you formally withdraw from the state. So even if you have sporadic activity, once you've crossed over that threshold and you've registered, then now you have a, an ongoing sales tax filing obligation, even if you have zero sales for that month or quarter, you know, depending on what your filing frequency is there. Um, I also want to say those thresholds reset every year. So if you go to the end of the year in December and you didn't cross those thresholds um, in a particular state, then the following January, you basically everyone starts at zero everywhere where you're not already filing and collecting and remitting. Start back over at zero and then you would track those accordingly um, for the next year. Uh, the other, I said the dollar value is the biggest um, one. There's also the number of transactions. So that one's um, can be kind of a burden on on manufacturers that maybe sell um, products that don't individually have a high dollar value. But once they've sold 100 of them or 200, those are the two common thresholds in the number of transaction space. They can be on the hook already for collecting and remitting sales tax, even though the dollar value associated with those transactions could still be quite low. So that's another thing to keep in mind. I think people have like a de minimis thought sometimes. And because number of transactions can snag you, that could, that could be a pretty low dollar value. Um, even though you've kind of crossed over into that nexus um, threshold with the state. Wow, this is, um, that gets to the super, great job boiling that down to <laughs> as basic as you can probably get on a, on a ill tax by state. I think what I, what I, Melody, thank you very much for, for joining us today and all this information. I think, you know, the biggest thing that I pull out of this is you need a process around the sales sales tax, whether it's uh, identifying the customer, 
who your customer is, exemption certificates, identifying when you should be and shouldn't be uh, paying tax, when you should be or shouldn't be collecting sales tax and remitting sales tax. Uh, but also, if you're crossing over into other jurisdictions, as like you said, in other states, you need to have a look at what those state requirements are as well, because you may very well trigger yourself into um, a situation and then open yourself up to audits and penalties and all right. sorts of risk uh, down the road, particularly and again. all the rules that we talked about related to purchasing uh, equipment and raw materials, all of those are different across the states too. So once you right. jump into a state where you have that level of nexus, you need to pay attention to all of those pieces. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and Mike, even like you said earlier, it's not just the, okay, if I get audited by state of Florida or some other state or whatnot, again, think of value to you and your business long-term at some point you're wanting to transition, whether that be to the next generation, you're wanting to sell. Um, those are things that not having that kind of due diligence done throughout the years may seem like a, an mm -hmm. easy brush under the rug or not look at it, but not having that could really come back to now make a, a potential buyer not feel so great about it. And like Mike said, maybe have to hold withhold more or even worse, drive down your sales price of your transaction because they don't get all the warm and fuzzies about everything you're doing and, 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 and that you have a process for this. So the more clear you make that, the better somebody feels about it. That's going to also help you build that long-term value, short-term pains, long pains to deal with all this every year. But uh, long-term payoff in, in building value in your company. Sales Run. tax is one of the biggest areas in the due diligence space, especially over the changes that have happened with the, um, the out-of-state presence. That's one of the top five areas that um, buyers are looking at um, in the due diligence process. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing to remember, if I, if I understand this correctly, but if you don't file and you should have, you don't, the statute of limitations is not running on that state, correct? That's correct. That means you could be on the hook for a very long time. Oh, now, no. uh, on the plus side, uh, there there is software and other things out there that can help if you are in a, you know, having to file in multiple states and and handle this stuff. So there is, there is tools out there that can help with that. So, um, but it's, it, it, it's very difficult to kind of summarize this. I mean, we, we did this in a very short amount of time, so I appreciate that. Uh, it's very complex. And of course, as always, uh, for any of our listeners, if you've, if you've even got a minor concern or you're not even sure, just reach out and contact us. We'd be happy to, to connect Melody because uh, Kevin and I are not jumping into this area. I can, I can tell you that other than, other than referring to Melody to, to kind of get the answers there. So Melody, we really appreciate your time today. Happy to be here anytime. Great. And, and uh, I hope uh, for all our listeners, I hope this was really uh, informative and uh, I hope uh, uh, you're able to get something out of it. And of course, as I said, if you have questions, always feel free to reach out. Uh, otherwise, we hope you have a great rest of your day. To learn more about James Moore and Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve. Thank you.